0: I pray we never I don't know how to say this I, I heard a story one time with a little know, a, a child a young teenager somewhere along those lines who came in front of the church and gave his life to the Lord or her life to the Lord and um, shook the preacher's hand and you know it was a, a moment of celebration there and all those kinds of things and at the end of the service, the pastor invited, you know, the church family to come by and, and, and welcome this new child into the into the kingdom, into the into the family of God, to congratulate them on their decision to follow Christ in salvation. And the story goes, I, this may be an old preacher story, and they're, you know, most of them aren't true anyway. But the story goes that someone came by, and this young child was. Was, was weeping, was, was crying over the decision that they'd made. There was just so much joy there. Uh, the story goes that someone walked by and they, they shook the child's hand and says, well, is it, isn't that sweet, but just know you'll get over it someday. You know, I pray we never get over it. Uh, I pray we never get over that I was dead, but God has now made me alive. I pray we never get over um, that Sunday morning when the women came to the tomb and found it empty, and that angel looked at them and said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And I pray we we never get over that. But it is the motivation for the rest of our lives. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, finishing up. That chapter, Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to begin in verse number 14 here in just a moment. I do want to let you know, beginning next week, we're going to take just a short uh, break from Ephesians. We've finished the first three chapters. We will finish the next three chapters, but next week I'm going to begin just kind of a short uh, series that tentatively I'm titling The True Vine. Anybody want to take a a guess at why? I'm calling it the true vine uh, as we are praying to the Lord about his work in planting a new church among this people. Uh, The name that we have settled on is true vine Baptist church and that name comes specifically from John chapter 15 verse 1. Um, But next week I'm going to begin uh, four messages on the text and the context of I am the true vine. So. Uh, While this is a lot of scripture and certainly we won't be able to look at it as in depth as we are walking through uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, next week I'll begin a short series there looking at John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, and 17. So we'll take one week to look at each of those chapters just in overview as we uh, begin to think about what it means to be part of the true vine. To abide in Christ and to bear much fruit. If you found Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, let me invite you to stand one more time. We're going to read from verse 14 down through the end of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. Of it, We thank you for the gift of being able to read it, sing it, pray it, and come to you because of the wisdom that it brings us. We would pray, Father, today as we celebrate this event, this Easter Sunday, this every single week being reminded that, that Jesus bore our sins, died on the cross for them, and rose again to bring you glory. And to us eternal life. In his name we pray. Amen. But nobody's told you yet, Happy Easter. Happy Easter, The Though one day set aside on both the, the secular and the Christian calendar to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For most of the secular world, especially the commercial world and the retail world, today is a day to celebrate spring, to celebrate new life, the the budding of flowers, the blossoming of trees, and the sale of chocolate Easter bunnies. For the Christian world, it is a particular Sunday where we worship and we are reminded that the Son of God died for our sins, and we celebrate that He rose again. Now certainly every Sunday for the Christian should be a Sunday of celebration of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. But this one particularly is marked off. We we mark it off by celebrating Holy Week. Last week was Palm Sunday, The day that we remember that Jesus came into Jerusalem one final time. We marked off Thursday as the day when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, instituted what we just partook of in the Lord's Supper, and then spent the night praying as he awaited his arrest. Friday is Good Friday. It is good because on that day, he who knew no sin became sin, died a sinner's death, though he himself was blameless, holy, and righteous, a lamb without blemish. And then Saturday, the Sabbath, the day of rest. The day that Jesus spent in the tomb, sealed and guarded, and then Sunday morning, the women came to the tomb to find the stone rolled away, the guards lying on the ground as though dead, and the angels sitting on the stone saying, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's not here. He's risen. He's risen. Beloved, this is the fullness of the Christian faith. Jesus died for our sin and rose for our salvation. And as we have journeyed through Paul's letter, letter to the Ephesians, we have seen the eternal implications of this one event in the history of humanity. This is the eternal plan of God. Before He said, let there be light, His plan was to redeem His yet-to-be-created humanity through the shedding of His Son's blood and dying for sinners and granting His grace, His grace of eternal life through repentance and and belief in that dead yet risen Savior. Every wall of separation that sinful men build is crumbled to the ground in Christ. There is no more division in Christ. There is no more death in Christ. There is no more wrath in Christ. And there is no more following after The prince the power the ruler of the air not in christ there is life eternal life and there is power and there is hope and there is revelation and there is a nearness to god there is peace with him there is eternal security in the holy spirit there is a temple being built For the dwelling place of God, and that temple is the body of Christ. It's you and me. It's His church. There's also suffering incited by a lost world that hates God, that hates the gospel of Jesus Christ, that hates His death and resurrection, that hates God's creation especially what God created in His own image, namely humanity. The world hates the church when she is functioning as the church and charging hail with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world hates the strongest. And for this reason, Paul opens Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul paused this prayer in verse 1. Verse 1, he said, For this reason I call a prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles. Then a pause. Uh, A pause to share a word of personal testimony of God's working in his life as a minister and as a steward of God's gospel, a a testimony of God's working to build his church to display for all of eternity the manifold wisdom of God. Then he picks up again. Friends, I, I, I pray. I pray as we think of Easter I pray it drives us to our knees. I, I pray that we pray like never before when we come face to face with God the Son, the blameless, holy Lamb of God, being crushed for our iniquity, as Sarah read from Isaiah 53 just a moment ago, being crushed for our iniquity, being beaten for our sin, dying the cruelest of deaths on our behalf. I pray, Christian, that we are overwhelmed with gratitude. And for those who may still be rejecting faith, I pray that you know that he did this for you. I pray that you know he took your sin and he died in your place and he rose again that you can have eternal life. Your eternity can change in a moment through repentance and faith. Paul says I bow my knee to pray but I don't just pray to some force in the sky. He says, I pray to a person who actually has the wisdom and the power and the love to do something. Paul says, I bow my knee before the Father. The Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory, I pray to the Father whose father, the father from every family in heaven, the father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. You know, I I hear folks say, and sometimes I say it myself, I've made Jesus my Lord or I've made God my father. I, 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 I genuinely desire for you to hear my heart, but You and I don't have the authority to make God anything. He is Lord. Period. He is Father. Period. And Paul knows if he is going to bow his knee in prayer to anyone, it is going to be to his Father. The Father. The Father from whom every life on earth, past, present, and future, he prays to that Father because he alone has the riches of glory to grant to you and to me and his church anything. No one else has that authority. James 1.17 says, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, or shadow do to change 2nd Corinthians 13 14 Paul closes that letter by saying the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all inspired by those words the composer of the, the doxology would pin these words praise God from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We pray to the Father because Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, 9. Pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Beloved, when we are Overwhelmed by God. Overwhelmed by his risen son. Overwhelmed by the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. Prayer to the Father is our first act of worship. So what did Paul pray for? There are five and you see them listed if you picked up a bulletin this morning. He prayed that we would be strengthened in your inner being. He prayed that Christ may dwell in your hearts. He prayed that we would be rooted and grounded in love so that we could comprehend the magnitude of Christ's love and be filled with the fullness of God. I'm just going to briefly mention each of these, but I think they're incredibly important. They are vital for us to understand. Paul first prayed that God. May grant you. To be strengthened. With power. Through his spirit. In your. Inner being. Beloved almost always. Almost always. Our greatest enemy. Lives in our skin and is looking back at us from the mirror. Almost always our greatest enemy is the one looking back at us. Listen friends, the, the church life that Paul has described up to this point, and he's not even got the application yet, that comes in chapter 4, but the church life that Paul has described for us is going to be Hard. We have to surrender ourselves, sacrificing our identity to Christ, and that's hard. Then we have to love brothers and sisters. That's hard, but especially when it's hard to love brothers and sisters from other cultures, or ethnicities, or races, or languages, or political backgrounds, or economic statuses. Some of these we have been trained and taught to hate almost from our birth. Then Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 44, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So, those people who put Paul in prison, he loved. The the people who caused him to suffer, he loved. You and me, yes, we are called To love those who cause us to suffer. That doesn't take physical strength or emotional strength or mental strength. That takes God the Holy Spirit strengthening the inner man who is a new creation in Christ. The old hatred is gone and the new Christ-like love is present. Pray for God to strengthen with the power of his Holy Spirit, your inner person and the inner person of your church family. Next, secondly, Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know, sometimes I think Christ dwells in our minds. I think sometimes Christ dwells in our hopes and our dreams. I think sometimes that Christ dwells as a concept or a good idea or maybe an ideal or a goal to strive for. But Paul prays that Christ himself would dwell in our hearts through faith. In our hearts. In David's prayer of repentance in Psalm 51 he prayed that God would create in him a, a new heart. Then he says in Psalm 9, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then he tells us over just a chapter later in Matthew chapter 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be awesome. Paul prays that the gift of faith that God has given us back in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, that in that faith we would recognize that Christ is in you. He's not a good idea. He's not a concept to develop. He is alive in you, in your heart, and from there, faith grows deeper and stronger, which is what Paul prays for next. He prays that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Jesus has taught about good soil and rocky soil and shallow soil and weedy soil over in his parable of Matthew chapter 13. But Paul prays prays here that we would be rooted and grounded in love. I'm reminded of Psalm 1, where the psalmist says, The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. The prophet picked up this same idea in Jeremiah 17:8. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the streams and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. Deep roots. Grounded in the good soil of Christ's love. Makes for healthy Christians. Healthy churches. It also makes for enduring Christians. And enduring churches. Then Paul prays that we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. I want to point out the obvious here. We can never know the breadth and length And height and depth of God's love because it surpasses knowledge. And so what is it that Paul is asking for here? What is it that that Paul is praying for here? He's not praying for us to gain full comprehension of the magnitude of God's eternal love. He is praying that we would know it. That we would know it. Know has more to do with experiencing the intimacy of Christ's love than writing a dissertation about it. Beloved, do you know how much Christ loves you? That is the question that Easter answers. He demonstrated his love by dying for you, dying dead the eternal second person of the Trinity God the Son put on our flesh and died our death do you know how much he loves you do you treasure Christ in your heart above everything else I tell couples all the time the best way to love their spouse is to love Jesus more The best way to love your kids is to love Jesus more. The best way to love and serve your community or your country is to love Christ more. The best way to to do your job better and advance your career is to love Christ more. And the best way for you to love your church is to love Christ more. The best way and, and the only way the only way to live as redeemed Christians in this dark and wicked world is to love Christ more. First John 3, 1 John 3.1, the apostle writes, See, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children. There's one final request in Paul's prayer. One final request, and that that is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Friends, from the moment of salvation, from the moment you repent and believe, the moment you are made alive, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And filled means filled. Filled. There are no gaps. There is no more Holy Spirit that comes later. There is no coming and going of the Holy Spirit. You are filled, completely filled, and eternally filled. But sometimes, that person who is looking back at you in the mirror, that person who is lacking inner strength, that person who has moved Christ from their hearts to their ideas, that person who... Who is shallowing up their roots in death. That person who is running away from the magnitude of God's love. That person. And that person, by the way, is me. And it's you too. That person Paul prays for. That we would forever and always be filled with the overwhelming awe. Of the fullness. Of God. Again David prays in Psalm 51. Renew a right spirit in me. Restore to me. The joy of your salvation. The fullness of God. Was pleased to dwell in Christ. And Jesus said. When you have seen me. You have seen the Father. Beloved, today I pray that we see Jesus. I pray we see Him crucified and resurrected. And it fills us with worship and the fullness of God. This would be a beautiful prayer if Paul stops right here. And we can be assured that God will answer Paul's prayer and for no other reason than the fact that God inspired Paul to pray it. But Paul doesn't stop there. He offers to us one of the most beautiful benedictions in all of Scripture. When he pins the words that we now call verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly then all we ask for think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Note the totality of this declaration. God who made us alive from the dead. God who unified lost humanity with eternal life in Jesus. God who raised us to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. God who unifies every division created by sinful man. God who is building His church. You've heard it said before, the sky's the limit. Well, I think Paul here is saying that the limit is the unlimited heaven. Eternally more than we can ask or imagine. God, Paul declares, is able to do far more. Far more than we can ask or think. Beloved, everything I've already mentioned is beyond capacity for us to ask and think. To think that the dead would be raised in Christ, that's more than we can ask or think. But he says there's more. There's abundantly more. There's eternally more because he is eternally able. We pray for strengthening in our inner being. Paul says we will be abundantly stronger than we can ask or think. That Christ will dwell in our hearts. And Paul says abundantly more Abundantly more than we can ask or think. That we would be rooted and grounded in love. Abundantly deeper than we can ask or think. That we would know the magnitude of God's love. Abundantly more intimate than we could ever ask or think. And that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Abundantly more full. Abundantly more full. Than we can ever ask or think. Beloved, don't take this out of context. This is not justification for some false prosperity teaching. Because you may well suffer abundantly more than you can ask or think. But because God is more than we can. We can. Why? Because of this last verse. To him be glory in the church. To him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus. Through all generations. Forever. And ever. Why is God working his eternal plan. Of redemption. Through his church. It's for his glory. Why is God empowering Christians abundantly more than we can ask or think in enduring prison chains and suffering? It's for His glory. Why did the Lamb of God without blemish die a sinner's death? It was for His glory. Why did Jesus raise from the dead and redeem a people for Himself? It is for His glory. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Happy Easter, because this is abundantly more than we can ask or ever think. Abundantly more. I'm going to ask us, if we will, to allow our hearts and minds to celebrate the goodness of God, the goodness of God in Christ. As I close this morning with reading, uh, with the reading of Psalm 118. Psalm 118, written a thousand years before Jesus was born, lived, died, arose again. The psalmist writes, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the, the, festival, the festival sacrifices with cords. Upon the horns of the altar, you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Father, this morning we thank you that the picture of Easter is an empty tomb. The picture of Easter. All the words he is not here, he is risen. And that picture communicates the truth that your steadfast love endures forever. Father, there is much that we come to you, bringing to you our prayers, our requests, our petitions, our pains, our hurts, our struggles. To know, Father, that your answer to those is abundantly more than we can ask or think. We may not understand the way you answer our, our prayers. We may not understand the way you guide our lives, but it is abundantly more. For your glory as your power works in us for the proclamation of the name of Jesus through all generations. We come to you Seeking your face. For this reason, for the reason that you have called us to be your church, we bow our knee before you. We pray to you. We praise you. We give you thanksgiving. And we seek to rest in you. (coughs) Father, this morning, as we have Lifted our voice to you in song as we have lifted our hearts to you in prayer As we have read your word as we have Sought to teach and preach your word. I would pray that you would You would penetrate our hearts with your truth That the one here who does not yet know you would see That eternal life is abundantly more than we could ask for think. That today would be the day of repentance, today would be the day of belief, today would be the day of salvation. Father, for those of us who are struggling because our inner strength is weak, our roots are shallow, our our hearts aren't full the way they need to be because we have strayed. I would pray today that you bring us back full circle to see Jesus. To see him on his cross, yes, as he died for our sins, but to see an empty tomb and to know that he walks with us in the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. Abundantly more than we can ask or think. Father, today we just simply want to worship you. We simply want to abide in your presence. And we simply want to see you bear much fruit. There's one here today that needs to make a decision. I would pray that we do not depart this building before you call them to yourself. Lead them to someone or someone to them to pray for, to counsel with, to just love one another as you have loved us. We trust you and we worship you in Jesus' name.